Hey there, Morris. How you doing? Hey, good, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, thank you. Up to anything right now? I'm sorry? Are you up to anything right now? Uh, just watching some TV and eating. Nice. You know what you're also doing? I'm on a podcast. <laughs> I know, because I didn't recognize the number. Ah, that's how we get you here at Marvin Berry. <laughs> and what you eating? And, and, and so what's my podcast about? That's about what you're eating right now. Give us a, de- uh, give us a little rundown. What you munching? I'm having Indian food. Ooh. What kind uh, of curry? Uh, nan bread, some sort of paneer, and a vegetable rice. Do you want me to go look up the actual names? No, no, that's fine. Uh, that's not actually where the podcast will be about. It's okay. Uh, okay. Uh, I was going to tell you a little bit about the Battle of Elysia. How familiar are you with the Battle of Elysia? Battle of Elysia. The name, I'm not. And once you tell me the battle, I may or may not become more familiar with it. All right. Do you want the two guys who were fighting each other? Sure. All right. One guy was uh, Versingetorix. Versingetorix. Okay. Heard of that guy? I have not. All right. Other guy was Julius Caesar. I've heard of that guy. All right. Perfect. You've heard of his salads before? Missed that? You've heard of his salads? No. Don't think so. Goddamn Caesar salad. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't hear that very well. No, that's okay. I'll take it. Um, so I'm going to give you a little rundown of this. Kind of a little interesting uh, snippet of Roman history. Do you know very much about ancient Roman history at all? Uh, medium. All right. Well, I don't feel like I know as much as I should, so I've been doing a little diving into it. Found this one. thought it was kind of a neat little story. So, little background history. Uh, of course, you know, Dan Carlin, a guy who we're both fans of. Uh, before yeah. he kind of dives into these, he'll challenge uh, listeners to, you know, really try to think of the individual and not to dehumanize someone just because of the, you know, time gap at which we're looking back on it. Uh, you know, and kind of focus on the story and not to minimize the suffering just because it happened a long time ago. Uh, for this, I would ask you to do the opposite and really try to dehumanize these people so you can enjoy it as much as possible. Okay. Perfect. It'll be a little bit of fun. So we got, uh, the time is September 52 BCE. We're in Elysia. It's a fort settlement atop a mountain uh, in kind of central France, a little bit north, a little bit east of center. So if you think of France as Edmonton, we're kind of in Colosseum right now. Okay. Uh, halfway in between Paris and Zurich, if that kind of cleared things up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there we go. I know that's how you orient yourself as Zurich. I know you have a Zurich-based map. <laughs> um, so, yeah, a little bit of background on Julie here, old Julie Jewel the Caesar. Uh, it's been a couple years since his first consulship. Uh, he's supposed to kind of engineers, engineers his own appointment as pro-council of uh, three different Roman provinces. Only supposed to be uh, taken over these three provinces for one year. Somehow he convinces everyone to let him go for five years. Remind you of anything? Or anyone, rather? Uh, Putin? Vladimir Putin, see? So if you... Uh, I, I, think, and I think the reason Caesar did it is he was in quite a lot of death and you can't get sued when you are uh, running if you're one of the counselors. So Is that why you did I it? I think that... I, I believe that that's why he did it, is that you, as long as you're in power, you cannot be sued. Oh, uh, cool. But once you uh, are out of power, then they can uh, sue you. Nice. And then he'd get in, to avoid the whole impeachment deal, unlike Donald Trump right now. Exactly. Yeah. If, he'd, if, if he'd have learned the good art of lying and committing to a lie like uh, Donald Trump had, then uh, 
he probably wouldn't have had to worry about anything. <laughs> Both monumental haircuts, though. Yeah, it's true. That's true. I used to get Caesar cuts. I wonder if in uh, 2,000 years people will get Trump cuts and be like, come on, it's hip. It's a nice way to wear your bangs. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, so he's now uh, looking after a few different Roman provinces, one kind of northern Italy, one on the eastern coast of the Adriatic. So I guess that would be like Croatia, maybe some Herzegovina, modern day Bosnia and stuff like that, Herzegovina. Uh, and then yeah. also an area in southeastern France and kind of uh, southern France in the Mediterranean. But he's trying to you know what Caesar wants to do. He wants to get a little bit more land. Uh, so he decides to take over this part of France. Morris, do you know what this part of France was called at the time? Uh, the, no. Gaul. Yeah, I, I couldn't think of the uh, name, but yeah, I did actually know it was the Gaul, of course. But there we go. So he's going to have the Gaul work. Yeah. Can you believe the Gaul of the guy? Uh, I cannot believe it. Crazy. So he starts going after some shit, going after some different territories. Uh, the Helvetii, who are a little a federation of tribes in modern-day Switzerland, wanted to kind of uh, pass through the Atlantic coast of Gaul that Caesar was taking uh, running at the time. Uh, so they're like, hey, can we pass through? Caesar goes to Geneva, and he's like, no, you can't pass through my land. They get pissed off, start attacking some of his land. In response, Caesar just starts shutting down all these different Gallic rebellions that are popping up. Uh, you get the Belgae in modern Britannia. You get the Sube in uh, kind of what is like Germany and uh, Czech Republic now that he's shutting down. So Caesar's just kind of going one by one, shutting down these different rebellions in modern-day France, Europe area. Uh, the Gauls, as you can imagine, are getting a little bit peeved at this bastard who's, you know, shutting down all their fun and trying to be free. And... Uh, Man, this guy's hard. His name is hard to say. At first, I was saying uh, "versing toi," but I realized that the last, the placement of the X is different. His last part of his name is Torix, so it's "versing verse versingatorix." I think we'll say versingatorix. Uh, so he's a king in a tribe in central France, and he starts organizing a rebellion to, you know, stop getting uh, owned by all these Romans. Caesar realizes this, or kind of takes note of it and he strengthens up his own troops in the gallic area with some germanic mercenary uh horsemen uh you know, some cavalry from uh, germany so you know how those germans get a couple on the horses team them up with some italians and i think that's a bad recipe for france if we know anything about history i'd say I, my, my money is on the germans and the italians but sure yeah right i would also <laughs> take a bet on them uh you know just because of what's happened uh, so anyway, Caesar uh, is now just kind of putzing around, and he gets attacked first by Vercingetorix, Vercingetorix uh, northwest of Dijon in kind of eastern Gaul. Uh, the attack gets shut down by uh, Julius Caesar at this time. I believe at the time the Gauls and their little attack have about 80,000 guys. There's about 70,000 Romans, and they shut them down. Uh Vercingetorix decides to withdraw to a little town called Elysia. He's like, all right, we lost that battle. That's okay. We'll go to Elysia. It seems pretty ideal. It's a fort city, uh, and it's on top of a mountain. It's filled up with their Gallic allies. Uh, they have 80,000 men, so they go, they'll be able to, you know, be fed in Elysia. Elysia is also, uh, yeah, on top of a great big mountain, and there's two rivers on either side of the city, so it's pretty hard to get into. So uh, Vercingetorix takes his 80,000 Gauls. They go up there. Caesar, what do you think he does? 
My guess is that he starts building. He, the Roman soldiers, I think, were very good uh, carpenters as well. Oh. I'm guessing they, they, they start building themselves a, a defensive fort right there. You got it. So they start sieging the city, of course. You know, it's not going to take that long because there's all the people outside. But you're right. They want to start building a fort. So we're going to be kind of going into how far and how deep uh, the Romans at this type were at this time rather were into building shit. So to guarantee a perfect blockade, you got it. Caesar orders construction of an encircling set of fortifications, uh, circumvalitation around uh, Alicia. Uh, so he builds a fort around their fort. You're completely right. So they have their fort at city, but now they have a fort that's built around it. Uh, it's about 16 kilometers long. And has about 24 different towers in it. So as they're building it, they would go pretty quickly. But still, the Gauls can see that they are having a fort built around them. So I understandably would panic. And uh, send out some of their cavalry to try to disrupt it. But, of course, we got Germans on horseback shutting any of that nonsense down. So the Germans on horseback are protecting the Italians as they build a city around this city. Uh, meanwhile, Vercingetorix is sending out some messengers around Gaul to try to rally some, you know, support and help them out as they're now realizing that they might be stuck in Alicia unless they get some help. Caesar is able to get some captives, capture some of his little messengers, finds out that some more support is coming. So to try to, you know, get, uh, you know, discourage, uh, any more, uh, people being able to come in or come out, he decides to build an advanced trench around his entire fort. Uh, he goes up pretty far though. He goes about a half kilometer back from the boundary of his fort that he's now built and digs a 20 meter trench. Now, why do you think he would go so far back? Why would he go so far from his fort? You mean? Yeah. Ah, almost. I think at this point they just don't want to get hit by shit when they're doing it, so they're trying to build it really far back so they can not. So they can't. They can go on the outside of their wall and not get hit by the people far away. Yes, exactly. That's a good thing. That's a good idea. So they're doing that, but you're right. They do want some water trenches as well. You're always one step ahead of Caesar, Morris. I think you would have been a great <laughs> emperor had you had a different career choice. Uh, just, they're just born at the wrong time, I think. But. Yeah, you just have the instincts. You're like, let's see. Well, I guess we should build a fort. You know, you're making all the same choices as Caesar, which I'm impressed and horrified by. Uh, so, yeah, you're right. Then they built another trench. This one, 15 feet wide, fills it up with water, builds another trench. This one will just have it with, you know, nothing in it. But uh, also decides to build a bunch of other barricades and turrets and nonsense. But, you know, with building all of this, you're going to need a lot of lumber. And uh, a lot of more food to field, uh, feed up all the troops. So a lot of the times the troops, uh, the Italian troops who are doing the sieging, you know, are going out to get more lumber and get more food. The Gauls see that they're vulnerable at these times and do a few counterattacks. Caesar is getting tired of these counterattacks. So he pulls a, you know, play, I'd say, uh, reminds me of something that the Viet Cong would do, which is kind of a... Uh, interesting. Get some tree trunks, maybe on a bigger scale, though, who knows. Get some tree trunks, uh... Carves them into giant spikes, bundles the spikes up in groups of five, uh, making giant spike balls, then digs some more pits, puts the spike balls in the pits, and then covers those up with some light twigs and some debris so that if they're trying to run or any more messengers, they, uh, I guess, kind of like a, a mine before explosions were around, where instead of getting blown up, you instead just fall through into a pit of spike balls, which is pretty horrifying. Yeah, hopefully they're not still around there today like the mines are. <laughs> they still are, and they have to clear them out. They have to use wood detectors. It's very difficult. 
Oh, man. So Caesar knows that some outside supports will still be showing up any day now. So he has his fort, which is surrounding their fort. He has his dry moat. He has his moat of water. He has his extra far distant out fort, which is far away from everything. And he also has his pits with spike balls in them. So there's some more outside forces coming. What more as Caesar Dia do now? What's your next step? I would say sit back. Just chill? Sit back and defend. See, that's when your enemy thinks you are sitting back and defending. That's when you make another move. So you're going to be making a move here. Maybe overkill, you could even say. Um. He builds another fort around oh, all sure. of well, it. Oh, well, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the soldiers, you don't want them going soft while they're sitting there and waiting. No, you can get lazy. You know what, boys? We've built the spike balls. We've built two trenches. We've got our outside advanced trench. You know what? Why not we surround all of this bullshit with another fort? So they build another fort. Uh, <laughs> the Gauls look out and then see that as well, realize that they're fucked. Uh, so they start collecting all the town food, start rationing all the food. They decide, you know, as a town now, they're really facing the sh- The siege is really taking effect. They're very hungry. So they gather the whole town up, and they decide to take anyone who's old, all the women, all the children, anyone who's not a fighter, and what do we do with them, Morse? Offer them up as slaves? <laughs> almost, almost. <laughs> Uh, they decide to think, yeah, you know, pretty much that is it. They kick them out and they say, we'll let them go. We'll kick them out of our city. Caesar will think, hey, these are great, uh, you know, uh, hostages to take. He'll take them as hostages, as prisoners of war. He'll feed them. Little does he know, they'll be getting more food than they had before. So they take their genius plan. They kick out all the old people, all their wives and all their children. Uh, so now they're leaving their little, uh, fort and they're walking up to Caesar's first of the many ring forts. Get to his ring fort, knock on the door, and no one answers. So they go back to their city, and they can't get in there either. So all the men and women and old people just starve to death in between the two forts. <laughs> Nasty. Right? This is why we have to dehumanize them before we started this story, so we could really enjoy it. But it's, man. The, the, question, the question is, is it worth having our... Uh... Is it worth having our democracy today that, uh, for those people's deaths? That they fought? Well, you know what? They, they really got kicked out. I think, if anything, this wasn't France. Surely this led to modern French labor laws. I, that's more understandable now. <laughs> they fought then. These deaths maybe, I guess, contributed to the greater good. Oh, man. So, the let's see where we are here in my notes. We've got some, some stuff going on here. Yeah, the, so, the old people and the women and kids have just in between the two forts ah yes thanks very much yes they died in between a rock or a fort and a hard place that other hard place being another fort which of course is surrounding a third fort so the gauls support show up and they have two hundred and fifty thousand men so at this point the gauls are now outweighing the romans four to one seeming pretty good for the gauls so simultaneously the outside reinforcement gauls start attacking the outside fort and the inside Gauls start attacking the inside fort. These, of course, are two different forts, which is a team are surrounding the third fort. Uh, however, the Gauls can't really get anything done. Both the forts are too big, uh, too well reinforced. So they instead wait until night and do an attack at night, still simultaneous. Again, the forts are the same size. Nothing has changed. The Gauls still aren't getting anything done. Now, in the night as well, some Roman backup shows up led by Mark Antony. You know Mark Antony? He, uh, 
he uh, said, friends, Roman's countrymen. I come not to bury praise Caesar, I come to bury him. That's right. He was also a Puerto Rican singer and songwriter from the early 2000s. I didn't, don't know that one, but... Mark, I guess it's Mark Anthony. Yeah, you're thinking of the Cleopatra Anthony, but that's him. He shows up uh, with some reinforcements. Uh, so in the morning, the Gauls wake up. They tried their daytime attack. It didn't work. They wait until night. Nighttime attack. Doesn't work. They go to sleep. They then wake up. They're outside the double forts. And they see that now Mark Anthony has a shit ton of more Romans as backup. All the outside Gauls, who are the reinforcement, decide to get the hell out of there. They all leave. Meanwhile, unbeknownst to this, the inside Gauls decide to take off again in the morning for another big attack and trying to break out. So they get out and they actually get through uh, all the way up to the... Uh, they get over the water ditch. They get over all the spike balls. Now they are just having to fill in the 15-foot dry ditch. So they start filling in the 15-foot dry ditch that they can get across. A messenger comes up and lets them know that all the reinforcements that they're hoping to you know, meet up with have now all left. And they are now just surrounded by even more Roman enforcements. So they gave up for the day and then go back to the fort. Uh, which I would imagine would be a pretty bad feeling. <laughs> um, uh, so they fill in the ditch for nothing, go back in. The Gauls kind of wait for a few days and make one more big push. Now, this whole kind of entrapment, of course, is on a mountain, uh, and mountains being steeper in some spots have made it impossible for the wall or the forts to be built in a couple different parts. So there are a few holes in the wall. Uh, Caesar has put extra troops around it, but the Gauls kind of, their only hope is this little weakness in the wall. So they have uh, some people left still. So 60,000 of the inside Gauls, who are the only Gauls at this point, decide to hike down to this like little really steep area with some holes in it. And all 60,000 of them will blast through, try to get rid of, uh, get through the Roman troops and escape. Uh, a few remaining of the Gauls also try to just find general weak spots in the fort and attack it there. However, the uh, backup legions outside of the hole in the wall shut down the inside Gauls who are trying to burst out. And those who are then trying to find the extra weak spots are shut down by more Roman troops, led by Brutus, is also in this story, which is kind of neat. Brutus, of course, uh, from his... He, he, he was still a friend of Caesar's at this point. Oh, he's only stabbing people in the front at this point. No A2 at this point. Uh, so Caesar then uh, shuts down them uh, trying to escape. So now we just have all Romans on the outside... And all of the Gauls are in the inside. Caesar then, having some daylight left, decides, Hey, weren't there some other Gauls this morning who woke up and then ran away this morning? What if we went after them? So the Romans turn around, chase down all the reinforcement Gauls, and kill most of them. Uh, wait until midnight, until it's dark. Try to find some more. Kill some more. Can't get them all of them. So Caesar at this point has shut down. At one point was 4-1 to one, the underdog in manpower. Uh, gets some backup, is able to squash all this, and to quote him on this, quote-unquote, uh, in my Dan Carlin voice. <clears throat> is this going to be extra loud? Had the soldiers not been wearied by sending out frequent reinforcements and the labor of the entire day, all of the enemy's forces could have been destroyed. The next day, the Versing Court. Sorry, I was waiting for a, an uncomfortably long pause as a standard in history podcasts. <laughs> just to let that quote really sink in and bring a tear to your eye. Give, give everyone a second. 
asking him to check their uh, iPads and phones. Uh, is yeah. this thing working? Did it, did it pause? Is it off? Nope. Just emotional. I'm just feeling emotional for this beautiful story. Uh, so the next day, Vercingetorix uh, tells his Gaelic council, he's like, listen, guys, I think I, you should just kill me or just give me to this guy. I don't think we're going to get out of this. Uh, Caesar then orders all the Gauls to lay down their weapons, deliver all their chieftains to him. So the chieftains are all brought before him. Vercingetorix is surrenders in very dramatic fashion, apparently, riding on a beautifully adorned horse out of the fort city Elysia, and then does a lap around Caesar's camp before dismounting in front of him, taking off his armor, and then sitting at Caesar's feet, remaining completely motionless, just standing there until he is taken away. Uh, he is then held for five years until then Caesar has his big celebration parade, as they do, has a big celebration parade where he's marched through the streets of Rome and then is uh, ceremoniously executed by strangulation, as was standard at the time. Uh, this whole after, after after parading your defeated woe uh, foes, parading your defeated foes in front of uh, Rome. Yes, parading them I all through. Get to be taken on one last horrible lap. Uh, this is the end of the Gaelic independence, or any Gaelic independence in France and Belgium. End of the Gaelic Wars with this whole battle. Kind of put a nip in that bud. It was a pretty big power move. If you're like, oh yeah? You want to fight me? Well, I'm going to chase you down. You want to build a, You want to hide in a fort? I'm going to build a fort around that fort. You want to try to escape? I'm going to put a trench around that fort inside of your fort. You want to try to get people on the outside? I'm going to build a fort around them. And it's just like... You're right. I, I had no idea how uh, known the Roman soldiers were for their carpentry. Yeah, I, I believe when they when they would march, they would have quite large troops, and the, the guys that would arrive first would start right away, start building a fort just to stay in overnight. You know, instead of a camp, you'd build a fort. So, and just build one as they go along every day. Uh, not every day, but wherever they would go. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know. They would be daily forts that they would build, but you know, when they would march from point A to point B and as soon as the, the first people would arrive before the other people would arrive they would start uh, start building their forts so uh, one part one part soldier one part carpenter is my understanding oh man that's how I see myself you know I try to live that lifestyle every day yeah yeah well that's good any thoughts on the story as a whole any takeaways any lessons you can uh, apply to your life don't cross don't cross Caesar I guess would be one yeah don't cross Caesar don't invade Russia when uh in winter and if you run out of money, you shouldn't. Which, is, is this have to do with the war? Inflation. It has to do with inflation. If you run out of money, don't borrow? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, don't, you know, print more money. Or don't borrow. Or resort, I guess. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, don't print more money. Yeah. It, it works yeah. sometimes. Bel- the Belgae, are they, they would be current, currently Belgium, would it not? The Belgae. You know what? That probably would be the derivative of the Belgae. It said Britannia, so I guess that's kind of just the French part across from Great Britain. Let's see where the Belgae are. I, I, I just always assumed that Belgae were from Belgium, or the, the predecessors to what is current you know what? Belgium. My understanding of European geography is not amazing. Let's see. A large confederation of tribes living in northern Gaul between the English Channel and the west bank of the Rhine. Well, that would be where Belgium is, I think. Oh, look at that. And that's why Belgium are called the Belgae. <laughs> look at that. All right, let's look up a map of Europe. Let's see. Do-do-do-do. There we go. Internet.com. 
search Europe modern. You know, totally, that is exactly where it would be. You're right, Morris. Fantastic. Man, look at that. The Netherlands up there. Wow, Germany's its own country now. Good for them. Today? Today, Germany's its own country. You know, I thought after the uh, World War I reparations, they would never get it figured out. Oh, well, I've, there's a big story to be told about that. Really? Can you tell if me that? If that's where your history has left you. That's where I ended up. You know, I figure after a, I never want to get more than about 100 years behind. I figure it's not history at that point. It's just vintage. It, it circles. It goes on till I think, I think it's in about 1990s is when, uh, yeah, when it becomes a country again. Oh, wow. All right. In the 1990s. That's a big ordeal. You uh, call me back around the uh, 41st or 42nd podcast. I'll tell you that story. Sounds good. Well, we got, I guess this is episode eight. Thanks very much for joining us, Morris. It's been a blast having you. I think this is one of the uh, first non-prank episodes we're trying out, so we'll see how these get. All right. Well, thanks for allowing me to be part of it and for the uh, education and story. No worries. I hope that your uh, Indian food is not cold now. Did you finish, uh, be able to get some of it done, or did you put it off to the side? No, no, I I couldn't sound like a... A uh, pig on your podcast, so I set it aside. But it's fairly spicy, so it will, uh, I'm sure, still be fine. Ah, there we go. That would have been a funny move just to chew loudly into the uh, <laughs> film for the duration of the podcast. Give, give me a taste of my own medicine. Um, on, on one other note, did you know that Dan Carlin has come out with a new podcast in Common Sense? Ooh, a new Common Sense to listen to. Yeah, I think first one in probably like a year and a half or something like that. I mean, he drops podcasts at a ridiculous rate. I know when he I, does. You, Seems like you've just finished listening to his last one, and there's another one waiting for you. Yeah, it was ridiculous how you feel like I've been learning about now, I think, Japanese history. And you're like, what did that ordeal start? I think I was still in university when he started coming out with those. I think you're, I think you're right. It was like 2016? No, 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 couldn't have been. We'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about a year ago. Year, year. Well, and also you wrote a book in between as well, so I think you have to take some time off for that. Man. That guy. Why can't he just phone someone and talk about it? I mean, all I had to do, look up a Wikipedia article, make about, you know, two or three pages of notes, and then just talk about it. I know, I know. And probably more, pe- more people will listen to yours than his. Oh, way more people will listen to this than any old Dan Carlin podcast. I know. All right, let's see. I got it up here. So you have the Supernova in the East. The last one came out in October of this year. January. You mean the last year? I guess you know, the first one came out, you're right, only in July of 2018. So a year and a half he's been working on this year, right? Not that long. Yeah. And I think we're doing another one as well, are we not? The last one came out in October. It seems he comes out with them about every eight months. I guess it would be six months. A couple months from now, a new one should come out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, man. I think he does a little bit more research. I, I'll send him a letter. He just has to go to Wikipedia. There's tons of stuff on there, and it's free. I know. Or just listen to one of his other podcasts. There's all kinds of valuable information on those. Hey, Dan, I've just been summarizing your history podcast on my history podcast. Why don't you do the same? It's easy. You think Dan Carlin's podcast is going to do much detail? Catch Chris on Marvin Berry. We'll summarize it in ten minutes or less. <laughs> I'll give you the gist with a lot of opinions and pronunciations. We'll the cold notes of uh, Dan Carlin's podcast. I should do it. I could just uh, make a living. It's like Jays and 30, but for knowledge. Yeah, or do trailers for him or something like that. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll get a cross-promotion. I'll find myself a job one day in this pandemic. I figure all you need to do is get in Joe Rogan's podcast once and you'll, your podcast will explode. There's a podcast about sharing podcasts. I've offered, if if he lets me go on his podcast, then I'll let him come on my podcast. I've let him I know that. I think that's that. reasonable. I think that's I think a that's fair reasonable. trade. 
Oh, man. You could probably even call him with your regular phone. He wouldn't even not recognize your number. That's the bonus part. He doesn't know my famous phone number, unlike everyone else on this podcast. He just gets duped. That's right. That's right. Oh, man. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for listening, folks. This has been the eighth episode of the Marvin Barry Podcast, featuring my father, Morris Borger. Morris, thanks so much for joining us today, and we hope you have a great one. Thanks very much, Chris. Bye. Bye.